Welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Baseball Buds podcast. I am your host, Richie. Joining me as always is Matt. It's been a couple weeks, but it feels good to be back. Life's in the way sometimes, but today we're going to do a minor league breakdown check-in. It's been about a third of the season, so we're going to check in on prospects, some that are rising, some that are falling for the NL West. We'll go over some recent promotions and just talk more prospects but first let's bring in matt matt how are you doing what is going on yeah we got the nl west today uh probably one of the like least documented slash talked about um divisions this season on the on the show uh some really fun names here but not as deep as say the nl central with the reds or the al west, uh east like the orioles so we have some new names for you today yeah, it'll be a nice change of pace for us to not talk about Ellie De La Cruz and Andrew Abbott and everybody else we've been talking about. Still waiting on CES to get the call, but um, that will happen with due time. Let's uh, let's just hop right into some recent promotions that have occurred. We had Owen White get brought up by the Texas Rangers. He was used for an additional bullpen role. He went two innings, four hits, three in runs, one walk two strikeouts and then was immediately sent back down to double a i think they just use him for um just some depth we also had luis matos outfielder for the san francisco giants forecasting we will be talking about him later in the show as a riser for the giants he got promoted emmett sheehan pitcher for the los angeles dodgers he got called up henry davis and bo naylor catchers for the pittsburgh pirates and the cleveland guardians also got called up uh, Henry Davis making his debut tonight. We are recording on Monday, June 19th. You'll probably hear this on a Wednesday or later. So uh, I'll be curious to see if Bo or Henry can produce anything and jump into that top 12 for fantasy production at the catcher position. Matt, threw uh, five names out at you. Which ones stand out to you? Which ones are you the most interested in? Short-term, long-term, either format, categories, head-to-head points. I know you grabbed Bo Naylor in our Dynasty League. Yeah, I grabbed Naylor. Uh, I was currently rostering MJ Melendez, who has 20 barrels on the season, but only has, if I remember correct, five or six home runs. Really has had issues with the strikeout rate all season with contact overall. I was looking for a change. Naylor is kind of in this grouping of um, of catchers that we should see this year into next year that I think have obtainable upside. Uh, I think Davis is actually ahead of him if I were to rank Dynasty rankings because you look at overall lineup production. I think once O'Neill Cruz is back, I actually like Pittsburgh's lineup a little bit more than the Guardians, which says a lot. Um, and then you also have Diego Cartaya, who we're going to be talking about a little bit later today as well. So I think I'd probably be taking Bo for now um, as two and then Cartaya as three, but really curious to see what happens with Naylor. I think he will be the better of the two brothers, him and Josh. I do think it's going to take him some time to really settle into his role with the Guardians. Uh, there's a lot of expectation there, too. You have a, a very good pitching staff and a team that's been heavily documented as being defense first, and Naylor is definitely not a plus thrower. Um, that has been an issue in the minor leagues. It's what has cost him basically time this season because they've been working on trying to get his pop rate up. But I think from an offensive perspective, you got a guy that's probably going to hit 230, 240 this year, give you a little bit of power. I think high-end ceiling for Bo Naylor is probably 250, 260 with 20 home runs. Uh, and that's serviceable from the catcher position. He could have bigger upside if they choose to bounce him back before, back and forth between DH and catcher. But 
as of now, I think uh, Naylor could have an opportunity to be top 15 relevant this season. And I think Davis has a shot at top 12. It's going to be a little bit challenging for him, though. Uh, I think we've seen this year rookies, it's like one out of every 10 are hitting. And the catcher position is a very challenging position right off the bat for these rookies. Yeah, I think the one thing with Henry Davis is he might get more playing time. I think he's, he's in right field in tonight, outfield. and it, yeah, it's so. not good. He is not. He's yeah, not a I good outfielder. Oh, well, we'll see what happens with that. But you know, you mentioned Bo Naylor getting 250, 20 home runs. That's more than serviceable at the catcher position. I feel like nowadays, if you get a catcher hitting anything over 250, you've struck gold. I feel like you look at any of the top 10 guys for that 5 to 10 range, they're usually hovering around that 240, 250 range. I think like William Contreras, who we thought was going to be a breakout, is batting like, I don't have it in front of me. I want to say he's batting like 230, 240. I think MJ Melendez is like a top 12 or 13 catcher, and he's batting like 200. So it's not hard to crack that top 12 at the catcher position. Contreras sure. is uh, currently batting 201. Two, oh, so it's dropped. <laughs> It's dropped for sure. Um, yeah, was this so Wilson? Definitely worth was this playing. Wilson or William we were speaking of? I guess either one. They're both doing horrible. So uh, um, William Contreras is the Brewers catcher, correct? Correct, yes. That is um, he's not playing today. His brother is batting 201. So Wilson is batting 201. But Wilson, well, William isn't hitting home runs. So. Well, that, and that was the appeal for him is going from Atlanta to Milwaukee, going to a hitter-friendly ballpark. He should be able to hit more home runs. He does have eight on the year, so it's not terrible. He's probably, what, on a pace to hit 24, so it's not terrible. But 246, he's the 13th-ranked pitcher, at least in our head-to-head points. Wilson Contreras, like you mentioned, batting two. My, my app says 205. You might be ahead of me. He went one for five today, so I don't think it's updated on the SPN app. So, yeah, either way, take a shot on these catchers. Let's move on. Oh, did you have anything else you want to say, Matt? I was just going to say I watched White's uh, two innings because White's a guy I followed all season. He's a guy that I, I was dropped in our dynasty and was curious. The velocity just isn't there. Sat around 94, 95. was kind of his top out, I think. Um, he looks good, but... Just with the change in environment with velocity and, and these guys that are coming in throwing 97 like Emma Sheehan, I just don't know that White will ever be anything than a three or a four in a major league rotation. And on a good Rangers team, that's serviceable for fantasy, but I think it's going to take him a couple of years uh, to really settle into a role. I could see him in and out of that bullpen up and down from the minor leagues until there's really a solidified spot for him. And the other problem is he has competition with Jack Leiter as well as a rehabbing Kumar Rocker, who is obviously a full year away after TJ, but didn't like his white as much as I thought I was. Um, I do think there is potential there. It's just you're going to be waiting a while for it to actually manifest, I think. Yeah, there's definitely going to be some growing pains there. I don't think he's ready. He needs to go to AAA and prove himself there before he's ready. The other two we didn't mention, Luis Matos and Emmett Sheehan. I roster both of them. Uh, Luis Matos, I like what he was doing in AAA. I think you were right. We were talking off air. He hit six home runs in six days or something, but that looks like it might be a product of being in the PCL. I do like his contact skills. I do like his walk rate. I do like his strikeout rate. I I think I saw on Twitter or maybe one of the other industry podcasts, they comped him to Luis Arise, but in the outfield. And 
I kind of like that. I only got to watch one of his games, and it was the game against Emmett Sheehan where Sheehan was throwing a no-hitter. But Matos had two great shots on Emmett Sheehan, and they went to the warning track. And I just thought to myself, if you had power like anybody else, those probably are home runs. So something to monitor if he can grow into some power. He's only 20, 21 years 21, old. 21, yeah. 21. 21. And, and that, so he's and, still young. And that was my comment to you because I had been, we'd probably been monitoring about the same time as he got hot this year. And he's been a guy since 2001 that I was like, okay, this is a name that the Giants have. The Giants don't have many names. You know, he was a big international uh, signing prospect for them. 21, 21 was good. 2022 was bad. He starts heating up this year. So I start watching the highlights and almost every single one of his home runs at AAA was like 10 feet over the wall. Yeah, just barely. Yeah. And I was like, damn, like he's got a great swing, great contact. You know, it's it, his swing itself is compact, but I was like, that's going to be a problem at the major league level. Now he's 21. So I, I think what we're talking about is projective um, growth. And I think absolutely in time, he's probably a 320 home run guy. He could be a 330 home run guy. He could be a 340 home run guy if we're talking about the next Miguel Cabrera here. Now, obviously, there's less likelihood of that. But remember, when Cabrera came up at 20, 21, he really developed into a different body player by 27, 28. So it all depends kind of what he wants out of his growth as a player, what the organization wants, um, and how the body fills out too. But I think you're talking about, as you said, Richie, uh, an elite-level contact guy that has has good plate discipline and actually can cause a little bit of havoc on the base, not necessarily known for his speed, but I, I think base running is a plus. So you could be getting a three, possibly four-category contributor out of Matos, um, I think he's a great outfielder to have as your your fourth outfielder on your bench in case you have an injury. Yeah. It'll be interesting since he does play in the NL West. If all of his home runs come in Coors Field in Colorado, that'd be funny. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, last one we'll talk about is Emmett Sheehan. Um, In his debut in six innings, no hitter, two walks, three strikeouts. I was able to watch most of this game. He relied heavily on his fastball, didn't use his changeup and his slider that much. I really liked his slider. It, It looks like it plays well off his fastball. Um, when I was watching this, there was a lot of pop-ups. He has that rising fastball that everybody covets and he didn't throw it as hard as he was. I think he was touching 98, 99, a hundred in the minors and he didn't have that much. Um, it was sitting probably 95, 96, occasionally touched 97, 98. So I don't know if that was just nerves playing into it. He looked erratic in those last two innings, but I texted you on the side thing saying, I think the no hitters in his head and he's thinking about that with his debut rather than just being a good pitcher. But I, I liked what I saw from him. Yeah. Do you I, have any comments on him? I was able to grab him the morning of um, when the announcement came out in my dynasty categories league. There's only eight keepers. That's why he's available. Um, a little, little more shallow, but I like the highlights that I saw. I still don't think that we're talking about a full three-month contributor for the Dodgers. Uh, you know, we had talked on the side. I really would consider if I were the Dodgers moving him to the bullpen or pairing him with Miller and, and kind of doing a starter reliever role for the two to kind of minimize their innings and, and to extend them deeper in the season. I think ultimately 
the trade deadline is really going to be huge for a lot of these teams here that we're going to talk about today. You have a lot of contenders with the Giants, the Dodgers, as well as the NL West leading Diamondbacks. I think some of these names could switch around. And I think some of these roles could change. And I think Sheehan is probably the number one target for the Dodgers right now that could be at risk of losing his job in this rotation if they go out and acquire a Lucas Giolito or a Shane Bieber. Um, I, again, I would love to see him in the bullpen for this, you know, this title run that they're on. Really get him that major league experience, allow him to develop his secondary pitches against big league hitters, and then going into next year, stretch him back out with that major league experience and put him right in the rotation. Um, I, I do think he has what it takes to be a big league starter. I don't think he's, an, and again, in the Dodgers rotation, I don't think he's anything more than maybe a number three and a really good four for a couple of years. Uh, because you do have the expectation with this Dodgers team that they're going to have a big one-two punch. And I think Miller falls in at three there. I do like that, yeah. Um, so 53 and a third innings he has pitched so far. Um, he had 68 innings pitched all of last year. And then in 2021, he had only 15 and two-thirds innings pitched. But I think that was a year he was drafted. So he also had, I yeah, want to say, in 2021. So I want to say he had 24 yeah. innings in the Arizona Fall League last year as well. Oh, okay. Um, so projections right now are sitting at, like, I think what I've heard around the industry is about 110 innings this season is kind of what they're thinking is his total. So you got about another two months out of him? Yeah. Or or a month and, two, and then two months out of the bullpen. You know, like it's it's how do you it's how do you want to use this piece, really? Well it'll be interesting when Julio Urias and Noah Syndergaard come back, what they do with the rotation, and even Dustin May for that matter. Um, do you keep Emmett Sheehan in the rotation or do you put Syndergaard? Because he's been god awful. Well, I think the I think the best solution there is if they're not willing to piggyback Miller and Sheehan, it's piggyback May and Sheehan. You limit the ability for you know Dustin to come out there and re-injure himself. You put him out there for three innings at a time, for maybe four. Sheehan comes out for the other three or four. You keep both of them healthy. You keep their innings down, and then you rotate in Miller once Sheehan's innings cap is hit, and then you extend Miller. Um, and you have all three of these are great arms. You know you're getting a. a probably a second piece in a rotation performance out of the three of them. If you piggyback any three of them together as two. Yeah, it'll be, it will be something to monitor as the season goes along. We'll check back in as the season plays. Let's move on now to the NL West prospects prospects. Wow. <laughs> Can you tell I've had uh, sleepless nights recently? <laughs> All right. We'll start with the Arizona Diamondbacks. So, I kind of put this list together. You refined it. We're going to have three risers, three fallers, or try to target those for each team, and you've added a notable player. So the one riser for the Arizona Diamondbacks that stuck out to me is Ivan Melendez, first baseman. They drafted him in 2022, um, second round, 43rd overall. I remember the night of that draft. You and I mm -hmm. were talking about how – this is the guy who has the most power in the whole draft class, and we can't believe he fell to the second round. He has been performing. He is at high A. He has, as I'm pulling it up, 12 home runs, batting 263, so you want to see that average come up a little bit. But I think he has risen up the ranks for the Arizona Diamondbacks. I know you like this kid a lot, Matt. Anything you want to mention on him? 
Yeah, I was really concerned with his initial performance last year. You know, you said it, we were excited about him uh, coming out of the draft. And then when he got to pro ball, he just completely fell on his face. Uh, at, at a ball last year, Carolina, he hit 207, um, 20 strikeouts in 25 games, just wasn't producing, wasn't hitting. And my thought was, okay, well, this is why he fell to the second round. Clearly, scouts saw something that you know outweighed the power production that he was going to have, which was the inability to maybe get around on, on the ball. Um, this year, I think finally getting comfortable, finally producing now at high A at 12 home runs. Uh, we're going to need to see, of course, as we talk about a lot, him at double A. What does that production look like? But I think this is following very similar in the trend of some of these other first base prospects that we're seeing around the league. We're at 23 years old, 24 years old. You're like, okay, we're starting to see promise. 25, 26, they get the call to the majors, which is a little older, but it's starting to feel like that's the prime age these major league clubs are looking at promoting these kids. Um, I think a, a lot of Matt Mervis right now, um, you have Kyle Manzardo sitting at 23 years old for the Rays, who probably is only not up because he is a Ray. Um, but a couple other names around the league that we'll talk about a little bit older at the first base position, which I actually like a lot. Um, I would expect Melendez to probably provide that power bat maybe end of next season for Arizona. Um, realistically, 2025 is my projection, though. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, I don't think we see. I, I almost want to say 2026. He's 23 at high A, so unless he goes to double A and starts performing, gets that average up, I'm a little bit. Bearish I think on that, we but. I think we see double A this year, um, but he, again he's got to perform at double A. If he doesn't perform, it doesn't matter, right? He falls off prospect boards. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on to the number two riser, and that is the number ten prospect for the Arizona Diamondbacks, left-handed pitcher Yu Min Lin. He was signed out of China in 2021. He's only 19 years old. He does come with some caveats. He's only 5'11", which is pretty short for a pitcher. His fastball's 89 to 92. That doesn't concern me too much because he is 19 years old. I expect that to rise as he gets older. He gets great grades by MLIB uh, prospect ratings. He's got a 50-grade fastball, 55 curve, 55 slider, changeup at 60, control 50. So everything's average or above. The one performance that stuck out to me was three starts ago. He went five innings, only one hit, one walk, but 13 strikeouts. And ever since then, I've been keeping an eye on this kid. Um, I, I just love the progression that I'm seeing from him. And this could be, I don't want to say, I'm trying to think of a comp, but I, I don't have any good ones. So I don't want to throw something out there and then take it back later. But so, yeah, I'm I mean very interested in this kid. To me, he's Andrew Abbott 2.0. Um, similar velocity, similar pitch mix. He's younger. We're not seeing the you know the gross strikeout numbers on a season total, but we are seeing the high end upside in a singular game total. Again, it's high A though, so an advanced approach with advanced command against these kind of hitters is something that should lead to success. Uh, I, again, I hate to bang the drum, but we need to see him in Double A. Love that he's rising, and I think what we're talking about here is the command falling suit. Uh, like that's important. Like we talk about a lot of the left-hand pitchers, they take longer to develop sometimes in the righties. You think about just in recent memory, um, we have the kid for the Tigers who's coming back from the flexor strain injury. Who am I thinking about, Richie? Lefty. Um, what, sorry, which organization? Tigers. Flexor Tigers strain injury. Lefty. lefty was pretty decent last year. He's coming back this year. 
He's rostered. Scooball. Yep. So you have Scooball. Um, you know, we could we have Mackenzie Gore, both 25, 26, harder throwers. You know, con- concern has been with their command. I like the uh, the approach that Abbott shows. I like that the approach of Lynn, more command based pitchers. I think they'll have earlier success. I don't think it'll take till 26, 27, 28 to develop into a usable fantasy option. But at 19, at high A, like we have some projection to go. But so far, he is definitely one of our risers. Interesting, uh, or a fun fact about Human Lin is since 2022, pitchers under 2020 or under 22 years old, he has the second strikeout to walk rate percentage behind only Andrew Painter. Just a fun fact. Um, I mean, there's probably not that many that qualify for that, but just something to note. All right, let's move on to the third riser, and this is Ryan Bliss. He's batting 369 with 10 home runs and 19 stolen bases. He's kind of lower on the projection list. He's number 29 for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He's in double A, but he's been killing it. Doesn't get the greatest grades at a 45 hit tool, 40 power, but we've talked about this on the podcast these kids can grow, they can outperform, they can develop. So don't take their grades. I would almost rely on the results rather than what the grades are. Anything else you want to mention on Ryan Bliss, Matt? Yeah, I mean, he's he's exploded this season. I mean, you talked about it, batting 269, 10 home runs, 19 stolen bases. Um, we're seeing a really big developmental jump here. In 2022, he had 110 games at high A. He batted 214 with 118 strikeouts. So we're talking about a complete 180, a guy that probably wouldn't have been in pro ball in two or three years from now, if not for this massive jump. And ultimately, I think what we're talking about here, and I've said it in in past shows when we've talked about Bliss, is this is going to probably be a super utility, Um, maybe opportunity for him to play second base. You know, you do have Jordan Lawler coming up soon, so it has to see how they shake out that infield. Kettle Marte is officially just an outfielder, Richie. Or he's even playing second base predominantly this year. I think second base, okay. I want to say. Okay, so I, and I think he stays there. So just they kind list of, him at shortstop and second base, but I think it's been mostly second. Okay, so that kind of just goes into the, the calling card for Bliss. Um, I like him a lot, but I, I think ultimately, as I've talked earlier on the show about some of these pieces that I think are really good trade targets, I if it would be trading Bliss if I were in the organization for the Diamondbacks. I think what we're talking about is a quick jump in production, and he's 5'6", something we've also talked about that does concern me. Um, I would use him as a big-time trade asset. Another fun fact, um, Ryan Bliss has the most hits in all of MILB right now for the full season. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's move on to some fallers. And the first one we have is Drew Jones. Um, First overall, was he first or was he second? No, Uh, he was the second second, overall pick. He was supposed to go first, but he went second behind Jackson Holiday. He has a 55-grade hit tool, 60 power, 70 run, pretty much five-category contributor, only 19 years old. The reason why he's a faller is he has dealt with consistent injuries. I think he tore his labrum taking batting practice right after he was drafted, and that initially hurt his stock. Then he had another injury this year. I'm blanking Uh, what it is. I'm trying to quad. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm already turned off of him. You guys have heard me say that I'm no longer going in on these injury plumb prone players this is another guy that sticks out to me that might just have one of those careers that 
is injury ridden and it's sad because he hasn't even started his career yet. Yeah, I'm not willing to go there yet. Um, I I want to see what happens in August in his minor league approach this season, kind of see where the numbers are at because right now I think he only has like 40 at-bats. I think last time I checked it was 38, not doing basically anything. Um, but a two-year kind of concept of injury-prone, like to me, I want to see multiple seasons impacted. I think the labrum was a freak accident. I think a quad strain can happen to anybody, right? And they're also um, upper body, lower body. So there's a lot of pieces that I'm like, okay, like we'll give him some time. Um, but the production just hasn't been there at all. There's nothing for me to evaluate other than the fact that he's been bad and hurt. So all he's doing is is hurting the production, though, in terms of um, climbing the levels. You're seeing Jackson Holiday just dominate every stop he's had, hasn't been injured, and it's the opposite for Jones. So we need to really start to see him um, produce and grow through the levels and obviously stay healthy before I even know what kind of a prospect we're looking at here. Yeah, maybe I'm just too bullish on a recency with injury-prone players, but he has started rehabbing as of three days ago, so just something to monitor. Maybe his stock can rise after this podcast. One can only hope. Let's move on to our second faller. And that is somebody you roster in Brandon Fott. He was a, he got a lot of helium in the preseason of this draft. One of the top pitching prospects. I think he led the league in strikeouts last year for all of the minors, if I'm not mistaken, but he did horrible at the MLB. 837 ERA with 23 and two-thirds innings pitch, only 18 strikeouts, eight walks. He's been up and down in Reno since being demoted, but it is a PCL, so I don't know how much we should give him a pass. What are your thoughts, Matt? Yeah, I um, I really think we may have given him the helium, much like we're going to be giving Connor Phillips this season because of those strikeout numbers and kind of misevaluating who he was as a prospect I don't think you and I did when I acquired him in a trade. It was more just because it was like, hell, let's take a shot on him. Um, then watching him at the pro level, I liked at times what I saw. Um, and I, I actually think of him very similar to, I think, of Owen White. Similar velocity set points, similar pitch mix. Uh, Fott has more pitches to utilize in his arsenal than White does. I think Fott will be a better major league starter than White will, but they're very similar in, in, in approach. Um, I do think Fott will come up and probably provide impact this season still. Maybe it's July, maybe it's August. I, I think he, he is probably a number four, five in that rotation. I think he's probably a streamable option in fantasy this season. I think next year you're talking about a volume guy that's going to get you strikeouts. That's going to be on a good team. Uh, you know, we the leagues are built on that. Just having a guy that, you know, might get you a loss, give up four runs, pitch five innings, but has eight strikeouts. Um, I, I think there's a lot of reality in that. And also we have to be mindful. He plays in a challenging division. You know, he has to go up against the Padres, the Dodgers, and the Giants, all teams which are not e not easy matchups at times, and also pitching Colorado. So I really do like Fott. I just don't think he's going to be anywhere more than like teetering on my top 40 over the next three or four years, even if we see a high-end production from him. Yeah, I like I like that, and we'll see where he goes. 
Let's move on to the third faller, and our original list is going to change because we had Jordan Lawler, but he has since turned it around. So we're going to pivot and go to another pitcher, and that is in Blake Walston, who's a 2019 first-rounder for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He's been struggling. He's also a pitcher that was set to come up, but he has a 4-9 ERA at AAA, 64 and a third innings. He has 43 strikeouts to 40 walks. Yikes. Seems like control is the big issue for him here. He gets pretty much average grades across the board. Sits um, decent with a 95 fastball. He actually was dropped in our Dynasty League, I think today or yesterday. So that just shows you where people are at with Blake Walson, I think. People are starting to check out and give up on him. I'm curious if you are giving up on him as well, Matt. So I think Blake is the perfect example of what I spoke on earlier. Not as much of a velocity guy. Um, bigger body, though, 6'7". I think he's going to develop later in his career. And I think a lot of that goes into what you said to kind of kick off the segment with Walston, which is command. You know, He's also pick, pitching at Reno as well. That's a huge problem. Um, when we talk about command and we talk about how it's being impacted. I think the PCL is so, so challenging because these pitchers at times are trying to control the ball and keep the ball out of hitter hot zones because the ball flies so dangerously there that things can get erratic. And I also think it's why some of these teams have just said, screw it, we're bypassing the PCL. We're just not even going to throw our guys into AAA because I think what it can do psychologically is really damage the approach of a pitcher which is ironic that they chose to bring Fott back down there. But um, I think Blake has the opportunity in the next couple of years to come up and be of value. But I think what we're talking about here is another 26, 27-year-old breakout. I love what he had coming out of the draft. He's showcased the ability to be an above-average minor league pitcher. This year, though, we're just having we're having the downside of that. Yeah, it's, the PCL is a demon to pitchers, that is for sure. Before we move on to the next team in the Colorado Rockies, there is another player that's not necessarily riser or faller, but somebody who's fallen off, and that is Christian Robinson. He was the top prospect for the Arizona Diamondbacks all the way back in 2021. He's fallen off. He's not even in their top 30 anymore. He, I believe, was suspended. Is that correct, Matt? Yes, was suspended. Um, so he should be coming back soon. I'm trying to pull up his stats. He's only been 250. Two home runs in low A. So just somebody to monitor, see if he can gain some of that prospect status, kind of like Luis Matos did. He was a top prospect and then fell off last year because of injuries and then made his way to the majors. So maybe we see a similar path for Christian Robinson, just somebody to not forget about in your deeper leagues. And Matt wants me to bring up A.J. Vokovic from McGuanago. I have no idea who this is, so I'm going to let Matt take this one away. <laughs> um, so I need to look it up really quick, but AJ was in the same draft class, if I am correct, as uh, Blaze Jordan. They were in home run derbies together. Uh, Vukovic was also a former uh, player in the major leagues. I want to say he was a former brewer, so his father has lineage. Uh, playing very well, though, this season. Third base prospect has struggled uh, a lot coming through the the farm system up until this season he's batting 265 12 home runs this is at double a 21 years old turns 22 in july so we're talking about yet another uh, third base prospect to add to the plethora that we're seeing right now with colt heath 
as well as Mayo. Uh, I think we're going to have a new wave of these guys coming up. But Vukovic is really exciting because, again, as I mentioned, we hadn't really seen much from the prospect pedigree coming into the season. Last year, he had 276 with 17 home runs. That was across two levels. That was single A and double A. Uh, but years prior, 308 in two levels, 117 games, but lacked the power. Uh, this year, he's putting it all together, starting to develop into the body and was drafted in the fourth round because the expectation was that he was probably going to go on to college. So much like Blaze Jordan, the Diamondbacks were able to give him above average signing bonus, lock him into the organization, develop him. I think A.J. Vukovic might be a name that we're really getting hot on next year. Someone to keep an eye on. Yeah, definitely somebody I'll have to put on my list. Let's move on now to the Colorado Rockies and their number one riser is Yanquil Fernandez, somebody we've talked about recently. Uh, I think on the show where we talked about, what was it, June or May, uh, Prospects of the Month. I remember after that podcast, you told me to go pick him up, and I didn't have room for him. And you actually got him, and he's only picked up steam since then. He's now batting 319 just for Hyatt. He got moved to double A, I think today or was it yesterday? More recently, he's been moved to double A, so it'll be interesting to see what he does there at 20 years old. Definitely somebody who is rising up the ranks fast. It almost reminds me of Jackson Churio last year of kind of come out of nowhere and you just keep producing, keep producing, and then you hop in the top 100. I think we can see an ascension for Yanquil Fernandez similar to that. I just, I'll be honest, I don't know too much about this kid, other than I've seen a few clips and the ball explodes off of his bat when he hits it and left-handed hitter, so that always does well. And when you play for the Colorado Rockies in that ballpark, um, it's going to do you wonder. So, Matt, I'll let you take it away since this is your boy. Yeah, I, I think Fernandez has a lot of helium this season. Um, I am very concerned with the promotion. I wanted to see him sit down at high A for a little bit longer. Uh, I think what we're going to watch is a 20-year-old walk into double A and almost immediately struggle. I don't want to put that on him and I don't don't want to jinx him, but he's been starting to cool off a little bit of late. He did have an injury. I want to say it was to start the week last week that kept him out of a couple of games. Ended up coming back, um, homering almost immediately. So it was good to know that whatever was ailing him really didn't hold him back too much. He was out from uh, June 12th through the 14th. So he missed a three game stretch, came back on the 15th, ended up having a home run and two hits. Um, has gone 0-4 his last nine. Again, you know, that's just a part of my only ball, but has affected the average quite a bit. Um, I think the power is the biggest approach here. You you look at, as you said, his his ability to have the ball jump off the bat. You know, I think we're searching at times a lot for the next Jordan Alvarez, and I, th I think that comp is really challenging. But when you look at his swing approach, you look at his height, and you look at the way the ball jumps off his bat, you're watching a player that has projectable power in that ballpark. Uh, of a Jordan. Now, the question is at 20, does he continue to develop? Was he just taking advantage of fastballs at high A? How does he handle pitchers at, at double A? We've seen a lot of the guys coming to double A at that age range and struggle. Uh, you think about Jason Dominguez right off the bat. You know, it, you think about Junior Caminero, who has done well, but has not continued that high A success at the level he has. And we think we have to remember these kids are young. Um, the most exciting thing, though, is we have a couple more names on this list that are outfielders. This Colorado Rockies organization has three, four, five guys that I think projectably could say, hey, these are all starters. They're going to have to figure out who starts. 
And they're also going to have to figure out who essentially gets moved away. And I think that's going to be a really interesting dynamic to this is like who struggles the most, who gets held back. Is it Yanquil? Is it Thompson? Is it Beck? Is it Veen? Um, because one of these four is not going to be a starter in this outfield. Yeah, so let's move on to the next one, and that is Sterling Thompson, who's arguably more hot than Yanquil, and he is at single A, um, Sterling Thompson, that is, batting 400. He's got an OPS of 1143. He's got 11 walks to 15 strikeouts, so you love to see that. Seven stolen bases, so he can run a little bit. Doesn't get the greatest power grades at a 45, but he's only 21 years old. He was a first-round compensation pick in 2022, so he's got some pedigree. He was drafted out of Florida, so somebody who's definitely rising up the ranks. I think he probably deserved a promotion to double-A before Jan Quill, given his age, pedigree, and his performance. So that's a little shocking to me, but I wouldn't be surprised if he moves to double-A as well. Matt, what is your take on Sterling Thompson? And I would ask you who you like more, Jan Quill or Sterling, but, but since you grabbed Jan Quill, I think we have our answer there. Yeah, I think um, I think Yankul has the most. Uh, I think he's the higher ceiling. Uh, I think Sterling Thompson. What we're looking at here is is probably. Oh God, uh, Randall Grichik. I think that's probably the easiest comp on the team. Uh, a guy that's going to hit you two sixty to two eighty, give you some power, play good defense. Um, Thompson coming out of Florida. We talk about this a lot with some of these kids. Looks to be taking advantage of a level. Looks to be ready to move and it move fast. I think maybe the only reason they're not moving him is just that power. I think they probably want to see him start to get around on the ball a little faster. That would just be my assumption here. Um, but again, they're going to like projectably move these kids up together is what I'm guessing. So young Quill's up, maybe give him a week, bring Thompson up. Like They're going to probably start pushing these guys as a group together because this will be the next wave. You think about Corey Dickerson, Charlie Blackman back when those two were on this t on Colorado together, like – they were doing damage with each other. Um, so, again, I'm very excited. I do like Yanquil's ceiling a little bit more, but I, th I think Thompson's going to be a very solid outfielder. Definitely going to like the 2025-2026 outfielders for the Colorado Rockies. That is for sure. Let's move on now to another outfielder in Jordan Beck, who's also at high A. He's batting 274. He has 16 home runs, 34 walks, and 56 strikeouts. He was also a 2022 comp pick. He's 22 years old, a little bit older. He gets more grades on the power versus the hit tool. I'm curious what your thoughts are on Beck, and I think we ranked them. I, I probably would rank them Yanquil, Sterling Thompson, and then Jordan Beck in that order. I'm curious if you would do the same. Yeah, I think I would because I have concerns with Jordan's hit tool. Um, so I think we have them ranked as they should be. Um, now, again, the question is who struggles, right? We have a name that we're going to talk about here in a minute, and it's like what if he turns it around – does that mean Jordan Beck stays in the minor leagues until he's 27 years old? Um, I think young Quill will get a shot to be a pro level player as, as long as he continues to produce. I think Thompson will as well, because I think he will just continue to produce. I don't have any concerns about his production Beck, I do have some concerns as he hits double a, as he hits triple a, do we start seeing a 240, 230 average with power? That's just not going to get done in the low minors. Um, so yeah, I would say one, two, three young Quill and Thompson and then Beck. 
Yeah, you kind of did some forecasting, so thank you for that. We'll move on to another outfielder, and that is Zach <laughs> Veen, who is actually the top-rated prospect for the Colorado Rockies. He has since fallen. You've picked him up, dropped him multiple times in our Dynasty League. He was a 2020 first-round pick, ninth overall for the Colorado Rockies. He's 21, gets way better grades on MLB compared to the rest of them, but he's only batting 209 at AA, a 611 OPS, He's got 23 walks to 43 strikeouts and 172 at-bats, and he just has not been producing. He does have 22 stolen bases, so that aspect of his game has been overproducing. I don't think he was necessarily supposed to be a fast runner. I guess he does get a 60-grade run, but looking back, I don't remember him being... I thought he was more a power guy than a run guy, but it looks like it's the opposite these days. I'm curious where you stand with Zach Veen, and do you think he turns it around, or do you think he's going to keep plummeting? Yeah, no, out of the draft, his projection and um, the the concept was that he was going to f- like fill out and that he was going to be an all-around hitter with above-average power. That was the projection, and it just didn't come to light. Um, the speed has been there over the last couple of years. It's been really the only usable tool that allowed me to kind of hold on to him in fantasy because my thought was, well, if he's got the speed, you know, hopefully all of those developmental traits can come to fruition and he can be both a power and a speed guy. <clears throat> and he just, he hasn't been able to do that. So very disappointed. I'm out on Zach Veen, um, especially with all of these other guys that we just talked about. You know, we have three guys ahead of him that I would roster today in dynasty over him if I had to. And it's just really disappointing because I was so high on Zach for such a while. I loved that draft pick by the Rockies a few years back. And it was also, I think, forecasting from their organization to watch them take Sterling Thompson and Jordan Beck because I'm assuming they see something within his own play outside of the numbers that said to them, we probably missed on this pick. Yeah, and that's unfortunate, especially we keep talking about playing in Coors Field. You got that power-speed combo get on base, steal, then you get more runs, you add more fantasy production. You just love to see it. So that's a little disappointing. Let's move on to a catcher now for the Colorado Rockies, and that is Drew Romo. He was a 2020 comp pick, 35th overall, and he's been falling because he's just lost production as he moves up the ranks. 2021, he was in low A, had 314 batting average, had six home runs. Then in 2022, he moved up to high A, dropped to 254 batting average with only five home runs. And this year, he's been moved up to double A, batting 226. And he does have four home runs, but it just seems like his average keeps dropping as he moves up a level. And I'm curious if they're just moving him up because that's where he needs to be, especially being age 21. That's where you like to see him, right around that double A mark. And is he just adjusting to new pitchers? Is he just working on defense? I just don't like to see that average dropping and he's falling down prospect rankings as the season continues. So, Matt, what is your take on Drew Romo? Yeah, I think there's been some aggressive um, aggressive placement for him. I don't, I don't love to see what they've done with him. 79 games in A ball, 101 games in high A, he's at 44 games in double A this season. Um, did lose the 2020 season because of COVID. So, you know, there's some developmental time that's missed. We still have a few of those guys floating around these lists. 
He's a catcher too. You know, we talked about that earlier. It takes longer to develop. Um, Diego Cartaya, who's on our list, who we're going to talk about tonight, kind of same issues. You know, has performed well and just fallen off the face of the earth at times. So, um, I think there's opportunity for Romo, but again, we're probably looking at 2025, 2026 as a usable name. And as of now, there's really no skill sets in place for me to really project him fantasy-wise. I mean, four stolen bases, four home runs, low OBP, low average. Um, he's got to he's got to find a skill set for me to be interested. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with everything you say. And just being a catcher automatically, I, I dock you points for fantasy purposes. Let's move on to a pitcher for the Colorado Rockies, and that is Gabriel Hughes. He was their tenth overall pick in 2022. Somebody I really liked in that draft. Got good grades on the fastball, slider, control, everything you love to see. At 21 years old in Double A, he has been struggling mightily. He's got a 10-2-9 ERA. He has only gone 14 innings since being promoted from High A, but even then, he had a 5.5 ERA before he got promoted. So I just don't like what I'm seeing. He's got decent strikeout rates in High A, 54 strikeouts in 37 and two-thirds innings. But as we mentioned, time in and time out. You play in Coors Field, you can't be giving up runs, and that seems like what his issue is here. <sighs> Just hate to see it. I thought this was going to be finally a pitcher that Colorado could use. Uh, I think their last good one they had was John Gray, who's now on the Texas Rangers. So just disappointing to see. Curious what your thoughts are on Gabriel Hughes, Matt. Well, yeah, you mentioned the name that I was going to reference, and that's John Gray. You know, John Gray coming out of what it was, I'm pretty sure Oklahoma, um, was a sure bet. Uh, I want to say he was a top seven pick, if I remember correctly, fourth overall. We have to go back and look. But um, we, we're watching what John Gray is outside of Colorado now. And could this have been John Gray seven years ago if he hadn't pitched in Colorado? So with that being said, I am completely and always will be out on Colorado pitchers. It's just not an environment that you can see repetitive success at, at least for my metrics. Um, and it's disappointing because... You know, you're talking about Gabriel Hughes, that college arm Gonzaga could have gone to another organization and we could have been talking about him like as a riser this season. Now, obviously, he's not um, subject to Coors Field right now and the numbers aren't good, but still a college arm that I think a lot of people were excited about. He's just going to be in wasteland for the next seven, eight years as he's in this organization. Yeah, Colorado pitchers, man. I was in on John Gray and he just... Always disappointed me, especially in Colorado. Let's move on now to the Los Angeles Dodgers and some of their risers and fallers. The first one should be no shock. That is Emmett Sheehan, especially after getting promoted and having six no-hit innings. I think we talked a lot about him at the beginning, so I think we can just skip him. The next one is Kyle Hurt. He has been on fire as of recently. Trying to pull up his numbers here. He's the 28th prospect for Los Angeles Dodgers. He's got a 3.89 ERA in 39 and a third innings, but he's got 69 strikeouts for the Los Angeles Dodgers. I mean, this kid is starting to blow people away. He's starting to be on my mind, on my radar, somebody I'm starting to watch. He's 25 years old though. That's my concern. He was drafted in 2020 out of Miami. Curious what your thoughts are on Kyle Hurt here, Matt. Yeah, I mean, Hurt is Hurt is a bullpen arm, and he's being developed as so. Uh, has not had a performance this season over four innings. 
Uh, if you look back on just the last month of June, it was three innings, four innings, three innings. May, you have uh, two innings, four innings, four innings, three innings, three innings, three innings. Uh, April, two innings, two, three, two. Um, so he, it looks like they're just really developing as, him as a high leverage guy. And I think it's probably correct. Um, you know, it says Miami took him in the fifth round. He was a Southern, he was a USC kid. I, I haven't been able to watch a lot of tape on him, but as we've talked about before, they're developing a lot of these guys. And I'm actually glad to see them deciding right off the bat, this kid's going to be in the bullpen. So I think we're probably projecting Kyle Hurt to be their 2025, 20, 2026 20, closer at this point. Yeah, that's an interesting take. I could definitely see it. Let's move on now to the last riser, and that is Landon Knack, also a pitcher who was performing really well in AA. He had a 2.2 ERA with 57 and a third innings with 61 strikeouts. He recently got promoted to AAA, and in his first outing, he went two and two-thirds, gave up four hits, two home runs, three walks, three strikeouts, and has a 10.13 ERA in AAA. And... What's interesting is after Emmett Sheehan's no-hit innings, I did some looking, and it turns out that I, I can't think of what league they play in, um, but the Do Dodgers team for Tulsa, they play in Double A, and I think there's some speculation that they have a different ball. It's not a pre-tack ball like there is in the Southern League. But whatever Tulsa's in, they might be playing with a different ball that's not tacked. And I don't know. I can't remember where I saw it. But that's something I want to do some more research on. Is that the reason why all of these Dodgers double-A hitters are performing so well? Um, and then you see Landon Nax outing at triple-A, and it's horrific. But I'm going to give him a pass. It's his first outing at triple-A. Curious to see how he rebounds from that. Curious to see what happens with Kyle Hurt when he gets moved up but I'm not too concerned knowing that Emmett Sheehan had a pretty good outing when he went to the the majors for his first stint so curious what your thoughts are on Landon Knack and after we do some research what your thoughts would be if the Tulsa and whatever league they're in are using a different ball yeah um I, I think when you look at a, a basket of prospects all of which that were playing for the same team and have this you know this quick jump in numbers You've got to ask yourself what's going on. You know, either there's a coach down there that needs to be like promoted immediately um, or there's something else interesting happening. And I like to really think back on Emmett Sheehan coming into the year, kind of offseason analysis of him was that he was ultimately high end leverage bullpen arm. Like no one in the industry really thought that he was going to be a top of the line prospect starter, which is what he came in to be this season. I mean, he's probably the, arguably one of the most exciting kids that we've watched because of his numbers and his ascension. So I am curious to see what's going on maybe with the ball. And uh, it was interesting talking about the pre-tack ball in the Southern League. There's been a lot of frustration that uh, MILB and Major League Baseball just didn't decide to roll it out throughout the entirety of the AA system, that they just chose one league. So I also wouldn't be surprised if we found out that they've been, you know, utilizing uh, WD-40 on baseballs in the league that the Tulsa team is playing. Of course, it's a joke. But, um, yeah, I, I think also this is a really good opportunity for the Dodgers to target. Landon Knack is also a trade target. Like, you have really good numbers from him so far. Like, he's going into the PCL, so you know that's going to change. He's 25 years old. You have needs. 
pair him up with a Diego Cartaya or a Michael Bush and ship him out of town. Um, and then lastly, how many of these guys don't have this major league ability? We're already seeing it from Gavin Stone, the you know really quick fall off. Um, you know, it, can Sheehan stick? Can Hurt be a closer? Can Knack be anything for this team? These names are interesting. Yeah, I uh, wanted to correct something I said. Uh, it was TJ Stats that I saw it, and it was a, a tweet on on Emmett Sheehan getting called up, and it was him correcting, saying that he wasn't using the tack ball. So that is my bad. I'm going to retract that statement just for the listeners. So well, it was him correcting somebody asking if they were using the tack ball, and he said no, they were not. So I misread that. But That's on me. I, I still have the question on hand, right? Like, how are, how are these guys dominating AA? Now, they're all a little bit older, right? Sheehan's 23. Um... Hurt and Knack are 25, but it's not out of the realm of possibility to be like, hey, they're all buddies and they've all figured something out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it, those are realistic. I mean, if we're playing on a team together and I'm like, hey, I'm doing this and it's working really well and seems to be something you should try. Um, awesome. Or maybe a coach just has these younger hitters figured out and locationally they're throwing everything up in the zone, changing eye level. Just things to monitor, um, especially with the ascension of all three of these names this year. Yeah, let's move on to some fallers from the Dodgers. And the first one is Gavin Stone, somebody I really liked in the preseason. Loved his changeup, loved that he was the ERA leader in all of the minors last year. He struggled mightily with a 14.4 ERA in the 10 innings he's pitched for the Dodgers. Has since been sent down, and he's got a 6.61 ERA for AAA in Oklahoma City. He does have 58 strikeouts to 47 and two-thirds innings, but the thing I worry about is... When he gets to the majors, people are just laying off his changeup because they know that's what his best pitch is, and they're just waiting for the fastball or the other breaking stuff. And he just needs to develop another pitch that's going to be plus or at least above average. He's not going to be able to make it without more than that one pitch. So I am concerned about Gavin Stone long-term. I think he is a better bullpen role. I could see him in a high-leverage situation, um, maybe against certain righties at the bottom of the order. I'm very concerned about his long-term um, fantasy appeal. Matt, what say you? Yeah, um, I just didn't see enough from him, and I, I'm concerned that he falls right into that Brandon Fott territory, and I actually like Brandon Fott much more than I like Stone. I just saw really good production at a minor league level where this might just be a quad A guy. Yeah, kind of like Joe Adele, but the pitcher version. Let's move on now to another faller, and that is Michael Bush, second baseman for the Los Angeles Dodgers as well. He has since been called up with Max Muncy being put on the injured list, but he has struggled mightily. 207 batting average in the 10 games he's played, four walks to 11 strikeouts. Um, he was doing pretty well in Triple A since picked it back up, but he's still a faller because he hasn't been producing. I wonder if we just need to see some more time out of him, but I expected him to be up at the beginning of the season and perform almost at a Miguel Vargas type level. And I think for that reason, that's why I put him on the fallers list. And I just worry about that strikeout rate and what it's going to do for him. If pitchers figure out where he can, he not hit the high fastball. Can he not hit inside? They're going to find holes in his swing, 
And that's what I'm concerned about. Matt, do you have the same concerns as me with Michael Bush? Yeah, this is Brandon Lau 2.0 for me. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, I mean, I think I think that's yeah, a ceiling. That's like, enough. <laughs> and, and he needs the playing time, and he's just not going to get that in L.A. You know, he needs to have one, two, three seasons to develop into a starter, and the power would keep him in a lineup, um, and that's just not going to happen in L.A. They're not, they're not going to allow that kind of production. So mm-hmm. I, think, I think, again, trade target. They're going to move him out of town. All right, and then we'll go to the last faller who you forecasted earlier in the segment, and that is Diego Cartaya, who is the catcher. He's actually the top-rated prospects for the Los Angeles Dodgers, according to MLB Pipeline. He's batting a truly 210 batting average with eight home runs, so you love to see the power, but he does have 55 strikeouts to only 16 walks. Hate to see that. Um, I think his his prospect rating is just falling for me. And I think I want to see where he's in the top 100. And I think he's more of a overall type prospect rather than a fantasy type prospect. Yeah. He's the 11th overall on their top 100 list. He's not even in my top 100. I don't even know if he'd be in my top 200 for fantasy. Um, so that's my concerns with Diego Cartaya. He's not going to produce enough to even be a top 15, top 20 catcher unless he starts turning it around. He's only 21 at double A, but I'm not liking what I'm seeing from him. Well, and it's interesting. I think this is best case scenario for him because you look at uh, Ruiz, who was moved in the Scherzer trade and the Trey Turner trade. You know, you had Will Smith blocking him. Uh, I think arguably he was a better bat to ball uh, prospect than Cartaya, but Cartaya's big call to fame has been that he's had this monstrous power in the lower levels and showcasing the power this year. He just can't hit the ball consistently. Good defender as well. The reason I say all of those things is because I think there is a good chance that he sticks in L.A. because he's lost some of this prospect pedigree and might be the guy that actually spills Will Smith when Will Smith leaves in free agency. Um, I think that's the best case for Cartaya, not necessarily the Dodgers, who could have used yet again another um, catching prospect as a trade chip. So interesting season. I think, uh, I think he's probably safe from getting moved unless you have a team that just says, hey, we, can, we see something within his approach. We can get him back to where he was. We still value him as a high um, target. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on now to San Diego and go over some of their risers. The first one is somebody I like a lot, and that is Robbie Snelling. He is a left-handed pitcher. He is their fifth overall for the San Diego Padres. He was taken in the 2022 comp pick, 39th overall out of high school. He's 19 years old. I really liked what I saw. I thought he fell a little bit. I thought he was going to get drafted in that 15 to 25 range. So seeing him to go to 39 was a little bit of a surprise for me. But I like what he's been doing in low A so far. He's got a 1.74 ERA in 10 games, 46 and two-thirds innings, 55 strikeouts for Snelling. Um, Yeah, I think... He's a ways away. Probably we don't see him at earliest till 2026, 2027 to give him some development. But I really like what I see out of him. He's got a above average fastball, plus plus curveball, an okay changeup, and he's got some good control. So I really like what I see out of Robbie Snelling. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, just to piggyback on that, I think we probably see him moved up to high A this season. Um, I could see a start starting the season in double A next season. I could see a 2025 promotion. And I say that because the Padres are going to have to rely on their minor league pitchers with all the money they have spent on offense and the money they're going to continue to spend 
Uh, I could see an aggressive promotion status for Snelling. Again, it all comes down to development, but with a 174 uh, plus K to nine, we like what we're seeing so far. We're, this is going to be a guy that we continue to watch, but from a fantasy perspective, you're going to have to sit on him for a while. You know, even 2025 is a ways away. It's a year and a half away. Um, and if you're correct with 2026, that's two and a half years um, paired with possible injury. So like him a lot, though. I think this is really good for San Diego. They needed a pitching prospect to perform this way. Yeah, speaking of pitching prospects, let's move to the number two riser, and that is Jackson Wolf, another left-handed pitcher. He's in double-A. He was a fourth-round pick out of 2021. He has an okay fastball, good slider, good curve, decent control, but he's been on fire as of late. Overall, he's got a 3.77 ERA, 62 innings. He's got 80 strikeouts. You love to see that to only 16 walks. Let's see if I can pull up some of his last game logs here. And it hasn't been crazy. Six, six, seven, eight um, over the month he, of June. Yeah, he popped up on my radar on that April 26th outing. He went five innings with 10 strikeouts, and I've been kind of keeping an eye on him ever since. I really like that he hasn't given up too many runs besides these last two. Yeah. You know what's crazy? He hasn't given up a single home run this year. Oh, I lied. I lied. It was hit by batter. <laughs> well, he hasn't hit a batter this year. Um, home runs, guess. though, two, three, four, five, yeah. six, seven, eight, nine, eight, hey, nine home runs. It's a lot. You like the strikeout rate, though. 64 um, strikeouts in 51 and a third innings in the last 10 games. So love to see that. Um, curious what your thoughts are on Jackson Wolf. Has he been on your radar, Matt, or is this somebody new for you? Yeah, no, someone new for me, um, 24, you know, so we have the age. He will turn 25 next year. So, you know, we have time to watch his development, um, probably pushing major league spring training um, buzz next year. Uh, I, I am concerned with the nine home runs, um, but, you know, that's just part of the game. Uh, strikeout rates there. I think we could see a guy that could push for a rotation spot next year, depending on how all the money shakes out for San Diego. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the last riser, and that is the newest international signing for them, and that is Ethan Salas, catcher. He skipped Dominican Summer League and the Complex League, and he went straight to low A. He's kind of been struggling a little bit, only batting 193, but he is a riser because of that aggressive um, promotion. He's only 17 years old, but he recently turned 17. His birthday's on June 1st. So we're talking about a 16 year old in low A. That's absurd. Um, we're talking about guys who are like 20, 21 in high A and double A, and you got a kid five years younger than you. He's not even probably peaked at his height and weight yet. So I'm um, just curious. This guy is a ways away. The projection is 2028 for him on MLB Pipeline, so five years from now at the earliest, and that's if he develops properly. Um, this reminds me of somebody like Jason Dominguez or Marco Luciano, who we were so hyped about that we drafted super early in our dynasty leagues, and now we're just still sitting here waiting, and we've gone through some growing pains with them. So I kind of have the same thoughts and feelings with Ethan Salas. It might be a little too early, but if you play in deeper dynasty leagues, Maybe go out and get him, but again, he plays catcher, so that's my only caveat with that. What are your thoughts on Ethan Salas? Yeah, the projectability, it's its just very hard because of the position. Um, and I think best-case scenario, what happens is he outgrows the position, which 
then takes away a lot of the value of him being a catcher. Uh, say he continues to grow in height and continues to fill out and he turns into a guy that's projectable to be a 30 to 40 home run hitter. It's like, okay, well now where does he play? And is he relegated to being a first baseman now? There's so many questions about Salas, especially because his best traits right now are defensively. Um, doesn't look overmatched in, in, in uh, a ball though. Only speaking on the home run and the few hits I saw from the first week of his promotion looks comfortable. Obviously the batting average leads you to believe he's not comfortable yet. Um, but yeah, I will not be rostering th- Salas because I will not be waiting four years and holding a, a roster spot for him, but definitely done doing, that? done doing that, done doing that. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to some fallers now for the Padres. And the first one is their number one prospect on their list. And that is Jackson Merrill. And the reason why he's falling, he got off to a, a cold start, but he has since turned it around a little bit. Overall, he's batting 270. He has 28 strikeouts to 13 walks. And the reason why he's a faller for me is in spring training, there was talk of him potentially getting moved up aggressively, almost even. There was some talks that he might even make the majors for them. He's only at high A right now, but in spring training, he was on fire. I I can't remember his stats, but I remember you and me talking about him and somebody to keep an eye on. But I'm trying to see... Maybe you can pull it up what he did in April and May. It was horrible. I think he was batting below 200. So it's encouraging to see him bring that up. But overall, he is a faller for the first third of the season. Curious where you stand on Jackson Merrill nowadays. Yeah, and similar to some of these other guys, Merrill, because of the production that we saw in the Arizona Fall League, as well as low A last year, like they really did become aggressive with them. Um, I also think he's probably trying to tap into some power, which would accelerate his ability. Uh, just needs to chill out. Hit 339 last year. He's in 270 this year. So we're seeing some regression, but I, I don't think it's a talent regression. I think it's probably him stressing. Uh, this is an all-around prospect. Like I, I would comp him to Dansby Swanson. This is going to be a kid that's just a ba- better baseball player first than I think he is a fantasy player. Also, again, though, at 20 years old, this is his year 20 um, season. Like he's not turned 21 until next April. So a young kid, I think we got to give him time. Um, but I, I think the helium has been taken out of the balloon and I think it should have been. Yeah, that's fair. All right, let's move on to another faller. And that is Dylan Lesko, a right-handed pitcher for the Padres. He's number two on their rankings and he's simply a faller because he's recovering from Tommy John surgery. He actually has no stats, um, to date. Um, he was taken in the first round, 15th overall, somebody I was very excited. Um, and I don't really get excited out of high school pitchers. And so it was very devastating for me to hear that he was going to get Tommy John. It's probably because he throws a curveball as a high schooler. And I know they don't like you to throw off speed pitches because it puts a lot of strain on the elbow, especially at the younger ages when you're still developing, so maybe that was a cause for concern and why he ended up with Tommy John. But overall, I think this has hurt his stock, and it would be curious to see how he bounces back and is he still going to be the same pitcher that we saw. Um, he, just to give you some context, in 2021, he had a .35 ERA, 112 strikeouts in 60 innings for Buford High School out of Georgia. Um, that's insane. That's <laughs> What, I'm trying to think of what that is, K per nine, probably like an 18K per nine, I want to say, something along those lines. It's That's nuts. That's unheard of. Anything over 10 is legit. So having 18 at high school definitely puts you on the radar. But 
devastating to hear about the Tommy John. That's why he's a faller for me. Curious what your thoughts are, Matt. Yeah, it was, you know, it is what it is. Um, him being a, a faller, I think, is, um, I think we're being harsh, but we don't have any data to back up his draft position as well as his prospect pedigree. We're going to have to wait a full year, and then we're going to have to give him a pass because there was Tommy John. Ultimately, it's just really going to slow down the development, in my opinion. But I, I do think we have a probably a 3-2 in the rotation um, long-term if he can come back and, and prove that he is still the same prospect he was. Just going to take some time. All right, let's move on to another faller who we do have some statistics on, and that is Jay Groom, who's also a left-handed pitcher, the number nine prospect on MLB Pipeline's list for the Padres. He has a 9.8 ERA in AAA, but here's the kicker. In 59 and two-thirds innings, he has 50 walks <laughs> to 57 strikeouts. This guy does not know where the ball is going. Let's see how many hit batters he has. Uh, how many? You got to guess. I would say 12. 12. Have you looked this up before? I have not. I'm seeing... He only I only see two. two. Yeah, he's only two. Okay. But but still, that's that's not something you want to see. Jay Groom was somebody I was actually interested in when back when he was on the Boston Red Sox. I'm not even sure when he came over to the Padres. When did he... Oh, he got traded for Eric Hosmer back in... 2021 it looks like if i'm reading that correctly um and ever since then he's kind of fallen off my radar for the simple fact is he can't control where the ball is going and that's upsetting um any more thoughts on him matt yeah i was very excited about groom especially when he was drafted in 2016 you know projectable tall hard throwing left-hander going to the red Sox. um just hasn't just hasn't worked out. And he's just well, one of these you guys. said it right there, 2016. You should have been in the majors three, four years ago by now. Yeah, I mean, he's only 24, but he's a left-hander. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we have a season in the next two or three years where he comes up and gives us a stretch of three months where it's like, oh, my gosh, Groom finally developed. He finally figured it out, and then he just sucks again or has to have, like, Tommy John. Um, Mitch Keller 2.0. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, well, yeah Mitch The is, book's not out yet. The book's not out, Mitch yeah. Keller. All right, let's move on to the last NOS team, and that is the San Francisco Giants. We'll start with three risers. The first one is Luis Matos. Not talk too much because we talked at the beginning of the show with him, made his recent debut. I think he's 0 for 3 in tonight's game against the Padres, so that's devastating. I probably jinxed him because I started him over Starling Marte and Jeff McNeil, so I'm going to take the, the fall for that one. But let's move on to the second riser, and that's the number eight prospect. He's a left-handed pitcher for the San Francisco Giants. He's been rising through the ranks. He started the season at low A, and he's now at double A, and that is Carson Wisenhunt. Um, he was a second-round draft pick in last year's draft. He's got an amazing changeup, 70 grade out of 80. He's got an okay fastball, okay curveball, and okay command, but it seems that changeup is what is doing him wonders. Um, overall, across all platforms, he's got a 2.45 ERA, 47 and two-thirds innings. He's got 68 strikeouts to only 15 walks, so you love to see it. He's got an inflated ERA so far at AA, but there's only two starts, so I'm going to give him a pass. But I know you like this kid, Matt. What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I love him. And I think out of all the pitching prospects that we've been talking about and we're excited about, I think he's probably going to be rated number one, number two 
for me, ballpark uh, changeup is big. He's going to be able to offset some of the power that uh, we have come to know to be the NL West from this, the Padres and the Dodgers. Uh, I think it'll play really well when he goes on the, on the road to Colorado. And I think ultimately we've seen a track record of Giants pitchers doing really well. We've seen guys that don't project to be fantasy relevant become fantasy relevant. We've seen guys that are you know middling prospects, B-chip prospects, uh, Webb is the first one that comes to mind, come to the major league level and be a top 20 production type player. So I, I think Wizenhunt definitely has value, ballpark um, and pitch mix. I think this is a guy that we should really, really be excited about. Yeah, that's curious. The left-handed Logan Webb, same team, same yeah. ballpark. It'd be yeah. interesting. Um, yeah, okay. While I gather my thoughts, let's move on to the number three riser, and that is Vaughn Brown, the number six prospect for the San Francisco Giants. He has also risen up the ranks. He went from low A to high A and is now in double A. Kind of struggled a little bit here at double A. He's got a two thirty seven batting average, but he has risen up the ranks, and that's why he is a riser for us. In 2021, he was a 10th-round pick. Um, he's got great wheels, 70 grade run out of 80 is 24 years old. So it's taken him a little bit to get there. I'm curious what your thoughts are on Vaughn Brown here, Matt. Yeah, I think Vaughn is a a metrics darling, Uh, a little bit older as well. Some of the deep metrics on Twitter, um, analytic guys are in love with the speed. And I think it also helps, uh, push up the analytical numbers on some of these, uh, projection sheets. I don't know that we have anything more than a utility guy here. I don't know that we have a big leaguer here. Um, but with what the numbers are churning out right now, we're talking about a guy that's elite because of that speed. So uh, speed plays more so than it used to. We're seeing that with Asturio Ruiz as well. I don't think he has that kind of speed, but um, there could be a place for him. I just think we're talking about very, very deep leagues. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to some fallers to wrap up the show. The first one is Marco Luciano. We said his name actually earlier on the show, but in double A, he's batting a paltry 196 in 38 games. Yeah. Nine home runs. He's got 50 strikeouts to 25 walks. So he still has yet to figure it out. I was so high on this kid like two, three years ago. I mean, maybe even before then, 2019, 2020, he was signed back in 2018. He still is only 21 years old, so I have to keep reminding myself for him to be a double A at 21 years old, that's still great. Like, I think Junior Caminero is 21. I think, um, who are some other guys? Yanquil Fernandez is 21. So he's gotten there before all of these guys. So I don't know, should we give him a pass? Is it time to give up on him? Curious. He's just been so awful. I just can't get back in. It's going to be hard for me to to buy back in on Marco Luciano. Yeah, I think what we talked about earlier is a very fair assessment, though. Some of these international guys that we buy into, Luciano came in with um, upside power. Um, And I think, honestly, you said the right name. Like My concern for Junior Caminero is... Um, is exactly that, that he may not be able to produce at a double A. Luciano turns 22 this year at double A. You've got Fernandez, you've got uh, Junior at 19 and 20. Yeah, I mean, I'm out on Luciano. Um, it, it just, it would have happened if it was going to happen. He just can't seem to produce as he gets up the higher uh, link in the chain. Yeah sad all right let's move on to a, another faller and this was somebody who's the number three 
prospect for the San Francisco Giants all the way back in 2021, um, and that is Heliot Ramos. I mean, his comps, Heliot Ramos, I thought was what Luis Matos is now, and he just didn't provide. He did play nine games each in 2022 and 2023 for the San Francisco Giants. In 2022, he batted 100. And in 2023, he batted 192. So he's back at the minors. He's not even in their top 30 anymore. At AAA so far this year, he's batting 262. And let's see, he only has two home runs, 14 strikeouts, six walks. So not terrible there, but he's only played 17 games. I'm curious, are you completely out on Heliot Ramos? Is this, is this even a name that we should even be monitoring or keeping track on anymore? Is it time to just give up on him? Yeah, I think this is just yet another uh, Giants hitting prospect that they've failed. You know, we talked about Hunter Bishop the other night. We now have Heliot Ramos. We have Marco Luciano. Like, how many hitters do they have to fail before we just start realizing that this Giants organization just can't develop hitters? And the next name on our list is just to prove that. Yeah, so let's just jump right into it. And that's Joey Bart, catcher. Um, yeah, he's just been awful. Um, he's been in the majors for the last four years, or at least some parts of it. So 2020 betted 233 in the majors. 2021 betted 333, but it was only two games. So we're just going to throw out all of 2021. 2022 was 215 he batted and then so far this year he's batting 231 he's back down in triple a for this year he's batting 186 it is only 12 games so it's a small sample size but he has not figured it out and now they have patrick bailey who they took in the first round after joey bart i don't even know what year they took patrick bailey but you're right after yeah so turns out uh looks like the they are smart since they know they can't develop hitters maybe they just get a bunch of them and hope one of them sticks um are you completely out on joey bart yeah i, I think especially with patrick bailey's performance recently i think it the the team and and um bailey have decided like he's going to be the guy moving forward I think Bart could be an interesting piece to pair with a Ramos at a deadline. Uh, if they're looking to go out and maybe get a, a mid-tier reliever, you know, maybe you throw those two names out there, get a guy that's a little bit controllable. Uh, receiving team maybe takes an approach that, hey, we can fix these guys or we can turn these guys into something. But all three of these guys, in my opinion, need a change of scenery. I would love to see Luciano moved sooner than later because I think he still has the potential to be a major league starter. I don't know that Bart and Ramos will be anything other than fourth outfielder backup catcher at this point. Yeah. Just sad to see some of these prospects and that's, that's the game we play. It's a, a dangerous game. You never know which ones are going to hit, which ones are going to falter. All right. That wraps up our podcast for NOS prospects and recent promotions. We will check back in on these guys, the risers, the fallers, see which ones made it to the majors, see which ones are completely off our radars. Until then, we'll talk about another division on our next podcast. Until then, see you guys later.